Merry Christmas. What a beautiful sight to uh, see so many of you with extended family uh, with you. Uh, it's just great when you see the whole row is, is packed. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. Glad you're here. I mean, some of our folks are also gone, uh, visiting with family, but uh, we're, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, and some I know will be able to join us online. Uh, these rolling blackouts are no joke, are they? Um, you just think you're fine and dandy until you're not. Uh, we got here this morning, and evidently uh, the building was in a blackout. And so we lost a few things, and we had to go find a few things. And Hey, we're in a warm building, as, as we prayed about earlier, and we're grateful for that. Glad that you can be here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to follow along, if you've got a baby or a grandbaby in your lap, the verses are going to be on the screen, and, and that may be uh, better for you. Uh, there's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that. Uh, but sometimes I think what's more often true is familiarity breeds indifference. When you've heard something again and again, maybe known it for all of your life, it's easy to just take it for granted and just become callous to it. You know, you, a couple buys a, a dream mountain home with an amazing view, and they buy it because of the view, but soon after that home ownership kicks in, then they're doing maintenance and decorating, and they're not enjoying that wonderful view. You know, a couple can treat each other so well while they're dating, but after a few years of marriage, they may take each other for granted. Our goal should be that familiarity breeds uh, appreciation. It helps us to grow. The more you love your family, the more you appreciate your family. Even with all their quirks, you love them anyway. And the more you know Jesus, the more you appreciate him coming to earth, his perfect life, his dying and sacrificial death, his love for you. And as that song we just sang, oh, listen to our wondrous story. Luke chapter 2 is that wondrous story. And I want us just to go through this chapter, even though it's familiar to us. Some of you might even know it by heart. But just kind of go through it and, and just see again, maybe with the eyes of a child, with wonder, the good news of great joy. Notice first here, as we go through, I want us to see some transformations that happen. And as we see these transformations that happen immediately to the people in Jesus' life, maybe there can be some application for us, and we too can be transformed by Jesus. The first one I want us to see is about Joseph. Joseph was transformed from tension to peace. Let's kind of walk through the details of what Joseph experienced, what he was going through. The, the gospel opens, chapter 2, verse 2. In the days of Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I want you to notice immediately that Luke is relating a historical fact. And he's giving you the background. So don't miss this. He doesn't begin once upon a time or let me tell you a sweet story. He specifies a definite time, a place, and gives key names in history so you can mark it down. This was a historical fact. The birth of Jesus is not fiction. Our faith is based on a historical event. 
And so these gospel writers, as they were telling the stories, they're not inventing the stories. They're giving you the context of what really happened. They were eyewitnesses to the events. Luke began his gospel very specifically, given the details of even why he wrote it. Look back in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I find it interesting in these first two verses of chapter 2 that the people who seem so important at that time are not so important later. And the ones who were kind of unnoticed at the time, we still know their names even today. They become quite famous. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, they, they were nobodies in the first century. But Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, they were the people in power at that time. Everybody knew their names. But today, we name our children Joseph and Mary and Zach and Elizabeth. We name our dogs Caesar and Nero. And we don't even name our cats Quirinius. We just forgot about him. Such an odd name. Jesus taught the first will be last and the last shall be first. Charles Swindoll said this, Augustus thought he was hot stuff. But he was just a wisp of lint on the prophetic page. Look at Luke 2, verses 3 and 4. And everyone went from his own town to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now, to think about this logistically, this had to be an incredible inconvenience for Joseph. In fact, inconvenience is too nice of a word. Imagine if our government today said, we're going to do a, a census in the month of January, and every citizen in our country, you have to go back to the city where you were born and register in person. I mean, for one, there would be a revolt. But can you imagine, I mean, some of you were born here locally, and so it would just be, you know, an errand of the day. But some of us would have to travel to a nearby state. What about those who've moved here from California or New York? You're talking days travel just to get there, and then probably a day or two to register, and then days back. I mean, that would be a big ordeal, and that's what's going on. Everybody would be complaining. I mean, the price, price gouging of the hotels, uh, the long lines at the restaurants, I mean, the interstates would be packed, and the government offices, they're not equipped again to handle this, and we would be so frustrated with all of it. Joseph's family was from Bethlehem, a tiny suburb of Jerusalem, but they were living in Nazareth, 70 miles away, so they had to walk there. Now, keep in mind, he's a carpenter. So what we know of that day, of that culture, if you were a carpenter, you were, as we would say, self-employed, meaning there are no vacation days. There's no paid time off. So when you don't work, you don't get paid. And so a three days journey walking and then maybe a day or two to register and then back, you've missed a week's worth of wages just to comply with the government. And then verse 5 complicates the matter. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Was it mandatory that Mary also had to go to Bethlehem? Was she born there? 
Is that where her family was from? We know that she was from the line of David. Otherwise, would she have chosen to make that trip nine months pregnant? You know, it's one thing to make a tough journey by yourself, even more so if you're an expectant mother. We wouldn't do this today. Nine months pregnant, I'm not coming home for Christmas. I mean, we would just say it. I mean, airlines will not let you fly if you're, you know, up to 36 weeks. International, it's, I think it's 28, 26 weeks. They just they cut off. You're not allowed. You stay home. And there's a part of us we understand that. You know, if you're expecting a baby, you want to be home where your doctors are, your hospital, where your family is, your support. I mean, you just, you just plan on that. You're, you're not going anywhere. I know some of you read the story and you think, oh, what about Mary? But can we think about Joseph for just a moment? I feel sorry for Joseph. Anybody else? Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He does not know what he's getting into. I didn't expect an amen there, but I'll take it. <laughs> he never traveled with a pregnant woman before. He goes over to pick her up, and she's got enough loot to fill an SUV. You ever traveled with a baby before? Yeah, some of you did it this week. And you know the baby takes up this much space. There's stuff. And so he shows up, and he's, she's got everything. You know, I used to wonder why... And all the pictures and the, and the songs, it talks about there being a donkey. Because the Bible doesn't tell us there being a donkey at all. And yet, there had to be a donkey. Can we just say that? We know the Bible doesn't tell us that, but she had to be knowing. She's carrying an extra set of clothes. Something to take care of everything that she could imagine. Joseph, get this, is under a lot of stress. I think we should feel sorry for him as we read through this. And it had to be awkward. Remember, they're not married yet. They're not married yet. And he's a man, he's extremely unfamiliar with what she's experiencing. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. <laughs> it's kind of kidding, but sort of not. But just, you know, are we going too fast? Do you have what you need? You need to stop again. Okay, we'll stop again. When they finally reached Bethlehem, Joseph must have anticipated relief. And as we know the story, matters only get worse. No relatives to stay. No vacancy in the local hotel. How tense, how frustrating. I mean, he didn't choose this. This was put on him to go and do this census. He didn't choose the situation. All of this was not his doing. And how frustrating. He can't even take care of his soon-to-be wife and, and this baby. You know, with internet, travel is different now than it was even 10 years ago. When we first moved to Columbia, um, we decided to take our kids to Gatlinburg. And so we got a line and we reserved a hotel, the Capri Inn, C-A-P-R-I-N. And, but we got there, and we decided we were trying not to use credit, so we paid for it in cash. We reserved it with the credit card, but we paid for it in cash. And then we went to our room, and, y'all, it was awful. I mean, it smelled like old cigarettes. You've been in a room like that. And so I went back to the desk, and I said, hey, is there another room? And there was not another room. And I said, can I have my money back? They wouldn't give my money back. It was awful. Our kids nicknamed it the Crappy Inn. 
And to this day, we'll talk about the time we stayed at the crappy inn. But you know, I bet Joseph would have loved a room that we would have refused. It would have been a palace. He didn't even have that option. Here's the irony. After that journey that we can only imagine how difficult and long it was, and even longer than it would normally take, they get there, and to Joseph it looks like everything is coming unraveled, but to God everything is working exactly according to plan. Let's understand that. You know, sometimes when life gets hectic, when your nerves get really frazzled, when everything seems to be falling apart, it's just when God works, even in our lives. Joseph Knight was about to be transformed from tension to tranquility because the Prince of Peace, remember the Bible calls him that, the Prince of Peace was about to be born. And Joseph didn't know it, but God had already orchestrated. The wise men had set their trip in motion to come, bringing expensive gifts that were going to finance his life for the next several years. It wasn't a cash-in-hand moment, but help was coming all at God's directive. And Joseph was about to become the most famous stepfather in history. In the midst of all the stress and turmoil, Joseph was about to discover, live the truth of Psalm 3711, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So Joseph was transformed, but also notice Mary was transformed from pain to contentment. Look at Luke 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. You know, the first time the word pain is used in the Bible, it's used in reference to childbirth. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, to the woman God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to your children. So the increased pain of childbearing is a part of the curse of sin. And how many mothers, after enduring that long, incredible ordeal that we correctly call labor, will look up to their husband and say, never again. Because it's just that. It is so grueling. Many, Mary experienced the pain of childbirth when she gave birth, and she was not exempt. This was a miraculous birth, but it was still a birth of a baby. What we know of history, she's probably a teenager. And to make matters worse, we know from Scripture, she had so little help. Her mom's not there. There's no medical professionals. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. There's no, no midwife. Elizabeth, whom she loved, was not there. There's no one but Joseph. Had he ever delivered a baby? And, and, and again, think about Mary's perspective. They're not married yet. They've not been intimate yet. And, and he's going to be the one to help her at this very delicate moment. She was giving birth, not in a sterile hospital environment, but a smelly, dirty, stable-type room where animals were being kept. How terrifyingly lonely. How, how disturbing and painful. One final push. The intense pain stopped. That brief moment of silence. And then to hear the baby cry. A perfectly healthy baby boy. 
Of course, that's not a surprise because even though sonograms had not yet been invented, the angel Gabriel told her, you will have a baby boy and he will be great. And she held the baby in her arms and that pain was replaced with contentment. John 16, 21, Jesus said, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. Even with the most grueling labor, often you'll hear a mother say, Once I held my baby, it was worth it. And it's true. Mary's pain gave way to contentment. Look at verse 7. She gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, we plan ahead for those first moments, you know, the, uh, the, the going home moment. I mean, you know, the special clothes. I mean, we, we've got everything there, that car ride home, the first time they come to worship. I and mean, we take pictures of everything. I suppose Mary had packed these cloths. The King James Version calls them swaddling cloths. You've heard that phrase before. These were simple strips of cloths that peasants used to warm their little children. Sometimes the most delightful gifts come in plain packages. Mary wrapped her son and laid him alongside her in the straw for a while. Charles Colson speculates this. Mary didn't know whether to give him milk or to give him praise but she gave him both since he was, as near as she could figure, both hungry and holy. And then can you imagine Mary, after this grueling ordeal, realizing, I'm exhausted, even sleepy. Imagine her asking Joseph to place the baby in the manger right beside her, elevated just a little bit off that cold, damp floor. She reached over grabbed his finger. What could this new mom be thinking? As Michael W. Smith wrote, Welcome to our world. You've been promised. We've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger, how I wish we would have known. But long-awaited holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Welcome to our world. Isn't it true that our pain is often intensified when we see others' joy? You're going through a difficult time and you see someone else prospering and it just kind of ramps your pain a little bit to see them doing well when you're struggling. Your disease, your grief, your loneliness seems so obvious in contrast to the others that are enjoying just the opposite. But don't lose heart. There's coming a day when God's going to wipe away all the tears from your eyes. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. God sees it all, and he promises all these things will pass away. And your pain will be replaced with contentment, just like Mary's. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
You can hold on to the promises of Scripture like Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Well, one more transformation I want us to see if you're filling the blanks. The shepherds. The shepherds were transformed from fear to faith. Verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, if you've studied uh, shepherds, especially in biblical times, you know that that shepherds are not always thought of in, in the best light. Now, they're in all of our Christmas carols, so we think of them in a, in, a, in a sweet way, in a good way. We need to kind of go back in time and realize that in Bible times, that was not the case. Do you remember the Egyptians despised shepherds? It was considered a lowly uh, uh, way of getting income, a a job to have it all. And even in the New Testament, they were not very popular. Leon Morris, in his commentary on Luke, says this, shepherds had a reputation for stealing as they moved about the countryside. This is who they were. The Talmud reports that a shepherd was not allowed to give testimony in court because their character is so unreliable. This is who the shepherds were. This is what they would have been known for. But isn't it just like God? Isn't it just like God to make the first announcement of the birth of His Son to be the lowly, despised shepherds? You know, when when babies are born today, it used to be years ago, the dad would go and give cigars out. You remember that? That's before my day, but I remember hearing about that. And now with the internet, you can post and share with everybody. We cannot wait to tell the good news. Who's the first ones that the God of heaven tells the good news? The lowly shepherds. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were understandably fearful. And that song we just sang, Silent Light, there's a line that says, Shepherds quake at the sight. That's an understatement. Because when you really come into an encounter with God, there, that natural fear, it just, it just steps in. It just overtakes you. You do quake. And that's what's going on here. Look at verse 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So it's not a message of condemnation. It's not meant to scare them at all. It's meant to encourage them. It was a message of hope. Good news of great joy. The God of heaven loves you so much that he came to earth to die for your sins. He invites you to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you can live with this confidence. There's a promise to God's people in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, that in essence continues for all today who believe in him. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is who God is. This is what God wants for you. It was good news of great joy. Look at verses 12 through 14. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace peace to men on whom his favor rests. Can we picture this for a moment? So you have these shepherds minding their sheep, minding their own business, and this angel appears and now it mentions 
this great company of the heavenly host appeared praising God. It had to be not just spectacular. They would never forget this. They fall to their knees trying to take it all in. But when the angels were gone, they were motivated to take action. Look what it says next, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, this was a big decision. Their job is to take care of the sheep. Who's going to watch the sheep if they go into town? They can't take the sheep with them. One of them, some of them, all of them could have protested. You know, if we leave these sheep, how are they going to be taken care of? Rustlers can come in. Some might wander off. There could be wild animals. We're going to lose our income. How can this be a good thing just to abandon them? Same thing even happens today. People hear the good news of great joy, and the excuses just rise. How can we? Wait a minute, I've got this. Look what else is on my plate. All my responsibilities. But the shepherds left their sheep for a couple of hours, and as a result, they experienced the most significant event of their life. They thought the angels was spectacular to see. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You ever wonder how they found the baby? I mean, remember, Bethlehem was packed full of people. I know there was a big blue ribbon on the door that said, it's a boy. Hardly. You know, when a baby is born in the hospital, I think sometimes our, our local hospital, there'll be a chime that will play. But that's expected. That's, that's where babies are born. But when you... When a baby is born in, on the side of the interstate or maybe at a rest area or maybe the back of a police car or, you know, in some kind of emergency situation, that makes the news and everybody's talking about it because that's not expected. I can't help with, with wonder with Bethlehem being so overcrowded with all the tourists packed there to register, people coming back. You can imagine that kind of news. You won't believe what just happened. Somebody who just traveled to town, they gave birth and there was no room and they're in there with the animals. It's It's incredible. And all they had to do was ask, where's the baby born in a barn? Have you heard about that? Yeah, I heard. Back behind the Bethlehem Airbnb. Just keep going in the back. And, and yeah, keep going. You're thinking you're not going. But yeah, that's where it is. And they found the baby just as the angel said. You know, parents of newborn babies, that, that you, you know, when a baby is born, there's no such thing as night or day or day or night. I mean, when the baby's asleep, he's asleep. When he's awake, he's awake. For those first several days, that's, that's what matters. Picture Mary and Joseph finally settling down. The baby's asleep. The cows are quiet. The rooster's quiet. All is quiet. They're thinking, ah, we can rest a moment. And there's a knocking at the door. Joseph tiptoes over, cracks the door door and there's a stranger there sir you're you're not going to believe this but we were out on the hillside and an angel appeared to us now hang with me just a moment hear me out in fact the whole sky was ablaze and they told us about a baby being born the messiah going to be the savior of the world is 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 there a baby in here what father could resist that 
Come on in. Here's the child. None of that's in the Bible, so don't go looking for it. I just made that up. But can't you see it? What a spectacular moment. Can you imagine one of those shepherds going over to Mary and saying, may I hold him? Again, isn't that just like God? The God of heaven coming to earth, and one of the first to hold him is a smelly shepherd. God brought his son to earth to experience life with us. Look in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. When you've truly been impacted by this good news of great joy, you too go from fear to faith. You too cannot help but speak. You want to tell people about him. Everything you've seen and heard, people are going to know about it. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. How could they not be? The most unlikely spokespeople for this wonderful news. But they couldn't deny it. And then verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Every mother reading this knows exactly what that means. This is what mothers do. Mothers keep them scrapbooks, the baby books, the locks of hair, the little imprint. But you know, they don't really need any of those because it's all right here. Mary pondered these things in her heart. It had to be so different than what she imagined. When Gabriel said to her, described her, you were highly favored, Mary. And here she is with this baby, surrounded by all these animals. Not at all what she imagined, but worth it all. Verse 20 concludes, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds go back to tending their sheep, back to job, back to life, same routine. Never again would they see the angels, but their faith, their faith would never be the same. So here's the challenge for us. Once you think about this, when the good news becomes old news, the challenge is to keep the wonder. To go back and just read the chapter again. You experience this good news of great joy, but then you know what? Soon we're going to go back to work. We're going to go back to school. We'll go back to the routine. And we need to. That's what we need to do with life. Everything's the same. And yet, once you've had an encounter with Jesus, once you truly experience that good news of great joy, you're never the same. You are completely different. You've heard the story again and again. But the wonder remains true. The God of the universe was born in Bethlehem lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, after the third day came out of that tomb. And when you're born again, as Jesus described it, he forgives your sins and gives you eternal life. His spirit comes to live in you. You become his, and he begins to transform you into a person of peace, 
and a person of contentment and a person of faith. And He continually transformed you. And the longer you're with Him, the more you're transformed, the stronger you become. But it begins with the birth, what He calls a new birth, what He explains is baptism. This morning we're going to conclude our worship by giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you've never been baptized, we always have the water ready. Or if we can pray for you in your walk so that you can truly be transformed by Jesus. Won't you come, Holy Stand and Sing, to encourage you? Oh,